0: Amen. So today, uh, we're going to be continuing our series in Genesis. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about the life of Isaac. Specifically, the passage we're going to be in today is uh, Genesis 26. And uh, as I was studying for this passage, one of the things I noticed is that this is a passage that is sort of overlooked a lot, and we don't know much about the life of Isaac in terms of His father, Abraham, gets a lot of Scripture. We've been talking a lot about Abraham. And then his son, uh, Jacob, also gets uh, a a lot of attention in the Bible. But Isaac, he's sort of a middle child in the sense that um, he's actually a middle child. Uh, If you remember, his brother Ishmael before him um, was the firstborn son. And then um, Abraham remarries and has a bunch of children after him. And so he's got that middle child syndrome. Some of you may uh, understand that. I don't. I'm the youngest of four, and I'm the special one. Um, That's right. Uh, And so, but he's also a middle child in the sense of the patriarchs. And so, the patriarchs of the Bible are Abraham, his father, himself, and uh, Jacob after him. And so, uh, like I said, he he doesn't get a lot of attention. He lives a pretty ordinary life, or so it seems. Um, And so, when we come to Genesis 26, it's a a passage that looks very familiar to us. Um, And so, it's often overlooked or misinterpreted. and actually, uh, a lot of people use it to criticize the Bible. They use it to criticize the Scriptures. Uh, I was actually listening to this podcast. Um, I was actually really excited about it. It's, it's called uh, Sunday School Dropouts. And so it's this uh, boyfriend and girlfriend. And the girlfriend, uh, she grew up in the church like a lot of us, you know, went to Sunday school, was a good Christian, or, so she says. And then she decided that, you know… That she didn't believe it anymore, and so and so she decided she was going to leave the Christian faith. And however, I don't believe that. That's her story. Uh, And then, so she's dating this guy who's been an atheist his whole life. So, one of the things that they they were going to do in this podcast is they're going to go through all of the Bible and then read it and sort of explain it from their viewpoints, which I thought was going to be really fascinating and it just sucked really bad. Uh, they, they do a lot of the things that you, you hear from culture today. They, they read the scriptures and they sort of just read them at face value. They don't look at any of the literary design. They don't look at any of the intention, um, don't put things into contents. And so they really just use it to criticize the Bible. And it, and, but I had to listen because I had to hear what they said about this passage in particular. And they just said it was likely a mistake and they skipped it. So, again, I don't recommend this podcast. I don't know why I'm telling you about it other than um, hopefully you see the importance of this passage. Uh, Today, I really uh, want us to understand uh, Genesis 26, the way it was written, um, that it's not just a repeat or a rerun. Um, What I actually would like you guys to do today is think of it more as kind of an instant replay. And so what do you do when you watch an instant replay? Uh, if you watch sports at all or other things, I don't know what else they instant replay these days, um, hopefully not sermons. Um, you, you, would, you would look into it, and you might see some things that you missed, or you might notice some details, right? So that's what we want to do with the passage today. We want to point out some details. So like I said, we don't know much about Isaac at this point. We know that he was the promised uh, child. He was promised to uh, Abraham and, and uh, Sarah, his mother, and they sort of laughed uh, when they heard that God was gonna give him this child in the, their old age. And then again, they laughed uh, when he was actually born, when God fulfilled that promise. And so Isaac actually derives from the word laughter. That's what his name means is laughter, uh, which is really interesting. And um, we know that he had a whole uh, a brother and um, Ishmael was sort of uh, kind of a bully to him. It, it, you know, the prophecy of Ishmael was that he would sort of be Um, in contention with man and against man, and and we see that in their relationship, and Isaac was sort of the peaceful one. And it's actually interesting because uh, the the passage we get where we kind of see this sibling rivalry is that uh, uh, Ishmael, the the word they use where he's making fun of Isaac is the same word for laughter, the same derivative of, but it's sort of like making a mockery of Isaac. So just a little interesting tidbit I want to share with you that we'll talk about uh, later in the passage. Um, So we know that Isaac goes on, uh, and he has this defining moment in his life. And many of us, when we hear about Isaac, we hear this story. uh, Matt preached about it on Easter Sunday. So if you were here, you heard um, how Isaac actually willingly went up uh, with his father up to the place where he was supposed to be sacrificed, trusting in God, knowing that God uh, led him there and would provide for him. And we see this as sort of a defining moment in Isaac's life uh, where he trusts God, uh, and God provides for him. Isaac goes on to marry Rebecca um, and they and just like uh, his mother similar to the story of Abraham, uh, Isaac his wife Rebecca is barren and so she can 't have children, um, but he prays for his wife and he asks God to give them children uh, and he, uh, he gets twin sons out of that and I often think uh, I see some similarities between uh, Isaac and, and my life because uh, I was praying for a son really hard, and Annika says, I prayed too hard because we got twin boys. So I, I started to pay attention to Isaac there, um, you're welcome Monica. Uh, I started to pay attention to Isaac there and his life because I figured if, if he's got, if this is a father of twin boys and I know how hard it is to raise some twin boys, uh, maybe I should pay attention to his life. So I really dived into this passage uh, and, and I saw a lot of similarities. Um, between Isaac and myself, but uh, if you don't have twin boys say you also should see a lot of similarities. I think that Isaac's life uh, in this passage looks a lot like our life. Uh, I think you're gonna see a lot of similarities here, um, and I think there's a lesson to be learned um, similar to the lesson that Isaac learned and what God did for him. So let's let's start, let's open our Bibles. If you have your Bible today, uh, open up to Genesis chapter 26, and I'm gonna read here. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of this place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was an attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and repeated in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled the earth with all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, "'Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we.' So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, "'This water is ours.' So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. And when Elbimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzah, his advisor, Phicol, and the the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me? seeing that you hate me and you have sent me away from you. They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So between us, between you and us, let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have not done and have to you done nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. So they made a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Bere, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basmath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Whew! All right. (laughs) I just read a whole, uh, whole chapter on Saves, that's something I always wanted to do. So if you're thinking about Isaac in this situation, um, uh, Matt preached last week about Esau and Jacob, uh, and then I, uh, in, in a little bit in the Genesis chapter 25, you also learn that Abraham dies and Isaac buries his father. And so uh, this passage sort of picks up, uh, it's likely before uh, Esau and Jacob are born, and it's sort of a recap of Isaac's life, but it's a little bit out of order. So it's sometime after uh, Isaac buries his father. And so you can imagine, his father had all of these encounters uh, with God at this point, or in his life, and he was constantly communicating and talking with God and hearing from God. And Isaac, to this point, that we know of, hasn't heard from God yet, and he's probably living a pretty comfortable life. it says that he received, you know, the blessing and the inheritance of his father, and we know that Abraham was pretty rich. So Isaac, at this point, is pretty comfortable in living a life, but he's also human, and I think that sometimes we look at the characters of the Bible and we sort of see them as different than us, but really we should identify with them. And so he's probably wondering what a lot of us wonder sometimes, which is, does God's promise apply to me? How does this work? How, how am I supposed to live out this promise? I, did it die with my father? Is, is this promise real? And so what happens, the passage starts out, uh, and there's a famine. Um, God comes in and disrupts what's going on in Isaac's life. Uh, and he does what many of us would do in that situation when, um, the, when something happens, and he takes action, and he wants to go provide for his family. So just like his father, he's going to get up and go to Egypt, But this is where God steps in, and he finally hears from God, and what does God do? He renews his covenant with Isaac. He says, I'm here, I will be with you, Isaac. I will will multiply your land, I will multiply your offspring. He gives him that same covenant that his father heard. And he also asks Isaac to respond. And since this is an instant replay, I just want to pay attention to some of the subtle differences. where God asked I, uh, Abraham before in Genesis 12 to go, to go away from the land of Egypt, God is asking Isaac to stay here. Uh, he, he's saying, this is different. This Isaac, you have a different response. And so what does Isaac do? He responds in faith. Uh, he does what God says, and of course he would. Uh, he just had this amazing experience with God. Probably like by a campfire, had a guitar, singing worship songs, you know, making some promises. You all, many of you have been there, if you're a Christian, you know what that's like, right? You, you have this amazing experience with God. So of course, you know, his life is gonna change for good and he's never gonna sin again, right? What happens in the in the next section here? What what we know is that Isaac sins immediately after that. He sins and it's it's a devastating sin. I want you to think about the, the sin that's happened. Hes heard this, likely heard the stories of his father he know that the fa- his father went to King Abimelech uh, he knows that um, uh, he lied about his wife in fear for his life so he's heard, and, and Abraham's done it twice and he commits the very same sin that his father did knowing all that knowing the history he does exactly the same. I just want to point out too that the, the Abimelech here is probably not the same uh, king that Uh, Abraham uh, went up against, uh, the the title means, like, the son of a king, so it's it's more likely a title like Pharaoh, so it's not exactly the same. It's a different situation. It's a different king, Uh, and and I'll point out why that's important here. Um, So, you can imagine um, what happens next is Isaac is found out, right? He... (laughs) He's not so clever after all. In fact, what he's doing is he's seen by the king. Uh, the word, I think, in the passage here, it's laughter, right? And I talked about that word laughter. It's interesting that it's used here again, that Moses writes the word laughter here. But really, the, the idea here is that he's playing with his wife in a way that you would probably be grossed out if you saw someone playing that way with their sister. Do you get what I'm saying? So it's pretty obvious that there's more going on here than just, like, some friendly, like, uh, play. So... Uh, Yeah, so uh, he's caught in his sin. And the interesting thing here is that the king calls him out on it. And if you remember um, from Abraham's story, the the king there has a vision from God. God talks to him and says, hey, this is wrong. You need to do something about this and and confront Abraham. But here the king knows that this is wrong. The king has sort of like a, a, a better moral compass than Isaac does. And so Isaac, out of fear, of man out of fear for his own life he puts his wife in danger he puts the king in danger his sin is devastating and he's found out and even the the, the people of this time they even see how wrong he is they even see in fact the king actually uh, uses the word Ahweh, Yahweh for uh, God at this point he's he's recognizing that this this is a real God this is your God and what are you doing why are you why are you doing this to your God and to us so there's some real consequences of sin here. And you can imagine Isaac at this point, he's feeling awful. He's let his God down. He just had this amazing experience. He's, 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 he wants to follow God, but he's let him down. He's sinned in the very same sin that he's seen before. So you can imagine the, the, the shame that he must uh, feel. And how does God respond in this passage? We see that God blesses Isaac even amidst his sin. The king orders his people to protect them, to not lay hands on him and his family. And then Isaac is sowing and he's reaping a hundredfold. And, and we know from the scriptures that this means that there's a blessing upon his life. He, is, he has material blessing. And I want you to take note of this, that uh, although there's a lot of uh, talk in scripture about the fact, um, uh, about materialism and, and things, God does bless us physically. We are physical beings and that's part of our blessing. And although we'll see from Isaac that that's not sometimes always what we need, he does do that. So Isaac is blessed materially. God is is answering his promise to him. But what happens is that the Philistines become jealous. They see his blessing. They see what's going on and they want what he has. And so they push him away. They push him out of the land. And so you can see from the passage that yes, God does bless us with material things, but that's not always the best thing for us. Material things don't equal happiness. And God is showing Isaac through this journey in his life a little bit more about what it is to be blessed by God and what it is to live in this world and live in the corruption and the envy. So he's starting to see what's going on in this world. And so what does Isaac do at this time? He goes to the, the land of his father. He goes to the land where his father's wells are. And we see in the passage here that, um, that Isaac is digging up these old wells that, that the, the Philistines had covered them, that covered them up and sort of, they're sort of pushing him out, pushing him away and sort of trying to get rid of him. But he, uh, he digs up these old wells, these wells of truth uh, that, his, that his father had dug before him and he finds water in them. There's a couple of significant things about that. Uh, it, if you're going to dig up a well in a time, or if you're going to cover up a well in the time of famine, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty harsh thing to do. Uh, and so you can see that, that um, maybe that there wasn't value in these wells anymore. Maybe the, the Philistines hadn't found value. Maybe these wells were dried up. And it's interesting because Isaac goes back to this source of where his, uh, following his father's footsteps, the source of his faith, and he sees that these uh, old wells are bringing new water, and I think that's pretty significant. And so he, he, uh, he digs these wells, and the first one he digs up. Um, there's contention between him and these uh, herdsmen of Gerar. They, they sort of uh, say, hey, this is, this is our water. You have no right to this land, and I want you to pay attention to this because Isaac had every right to this land. He was, uh, if we remember from this passage, like I just said, he's been blessed. He has a lot of servants. He's got a lot of things going on for him, right? He, he's, he's pretty powerful at this point, and he probably could have overtaken them, but what does he do? How does he react when, they, when these herdsmen come in and say, hey, this is, our, this is our water, this is our land. We have this right. He backs away peacefully. He responds in peace. And then it happens again. He goes up and he digs another well, and they quarrel over it. And he names it after the quarreling that happens. And again, even though he has every right to do so, even though he's pretty powerful at this point, he backs away peacefully. And, he, and he's, at this point, he's getting further and further from the city, getting further and further from, and I want you to see this imagery here, he's getting further and further from the comforts of this world. Closer and closer to God, following God. God is working in him. God is showing him I will provide for you. God is keeping that promise. He's seeing it. He's actually seeing this happen, getting further and further away from his comfort, from his home in this world. And so finally, Isaac digs another well, and he calls it Rehoboth, and it means space. And what's happened here is that Isaac is finally at peace. He's got got space for God in his life. He's, he's away from this world. God is maturing him spiritually. God is showing him his promise. And so he finds space, space for God, space for peace. And it's sort of this kingdom glimpse for Isaac. It's sort of this um, imagery of the promise that God has made to him. And I think it is so significant here uh, because we see a huge change in the scriptures here. We see a huge change in the pattern of Isaac. Uh, if you remember, Isaac's life before this has always been, he's, he's always responding to the circumstances at hand. There's a famine. He wants to get up and go. Uh, the, the king, there's some trouble with the king. He, he leaves. There's some trouble with the Philistines. He leaves. There's some trouble with the herdsmen. He's responding to the, the circumstances of this world. But something different happens in this next uh, verse, and it says, From there he went up to Beersheba. There's, there's no circumstance that we hear that happens. He, he actually finds a space, he finds peace, but he moves. And you see the patterns of Isaac change and what happens when he does this. When he goes back to the foundation of his faith, this, where he's going back to is the place that, his, that he grew up, the place that his father took him and uh, was going to offer him as a sacrifice. This is that foundation. Isaac is going back there and we see him responding out of faith. And what happens? God comes down and he renews his covenant again with Isaac. He speaks again. And you almost see this imagery, if you can think about it. Isaac has been, he has sinned. He has seen the devastation of his sin. He is moving closer and closer to God. He is seeing what this world has to offer, this contention that this world gives him, this jealousy, the quarreling, the fighting of this world. And he's moving further and further away from his comfort. He's moving further and further closer to God and he's probably in this place where he's just, he has no hope, no desire, nothing left to find comfort in this world. And God comes down and says something a little bit different here. When God makes the covenant before he said, I will be with you. And what, what God says to Isaac here, he says, I am with you. I am with you. The world may be against you. You may have sinned again. Everything is going wrong in terms of this world, but you have been following me faithfully, and my promise is true for you today. Isaac, I am with you. And something different happens in Isaac's life. What does he do next? He doesn't go immediately to planting a well. He doesn't go immediately to trying to find comfort, to try to provide for his family. He's not concerned about his situation at this point. Isaac does what his fathers have done before him. Isaac does what Noah has done before him. Isaac does what he's seen done before him. He builds an altar to God, and he worships him. Isaac isn't worried about his situation right now or his circumstances. Isaac has found God. He has sought him, and he has found him, and he is at peace with him. The God of peace is with him. So he builds an altar, and he worships God and then he places his tent down, and then he digs a well. And we see something interesting happen in the next part of this passage. His enemies are coming to him now, and he probably sees them coming, and he's probably getting pretty scared, and he's probably pretty worried, because what has he done now? He's out there in his father's land, he's out there, he's left the world, he's been peaceful this whole time, why are they coming to him? And what does the king, Abimelech, say with his sort of entourage there, his generals? You know, he's sort of approaching them. He says, we want peace with you, man. We've seen God in your life and we know he is with you. We've seen the way you've acted. There's no other explanation for it. We don't understand why you've been so peaceful. We don't understand why you're out here in this land of famine and you're continuing to find water. You're continuing to prosper. Prosper. We don't understand it. You see, what's happened here is that it's not the blessing of God in material possessions that the world sees, that that the Philistines have seen here. It's the way that Isaac has responded with all of his comfort, with all of his power, with all that God has done for him. He has acted peacefully among his men. It's not just the situation he's in, it's not just the money he's got, but it's his action to that. It's his work, his effort, and his desire to be with God. And then what happens? His servants come and they say, hey, we found water. And Isaac was probably like, I knew it. I knew we'd find water. God continues to bless and provide for Isaac, and he is no longer worried about the circumstances of his life. This passage is important for many reasons. Uh, If if you're Israel and you're reading Moses' writing, this passage is extremely important because what it does is it proves the lineage. It proves that God's promise extends through Isaac, not through Ishmael, and it it demonstrates their right to this land. That's why he plants a second well and names it Beersheba. He's, He's affirming God's promise has come through him. And Israel, and these two wells exist to this day, the well that his father planted and the well that he plants here. It proves God's blessing happens through Isaac. It even says it in the scriptures. Uh, I don't know how you can skip over this, this passage, but I think it's uh, even more significant for us today, for, for the church, because Isaac's life may look like a repeat of his father's life. It may look like something that that we should just skip over and you may read through this and just say yeah that's really what his dad did but if you look at it from an eternal perspective isaac's life looks like our life you see just like isaac our relationship begins with god disrupting things with him showing him us his need for him Our our life begins with something happening to where we see a need for God. And we may want to act, but God brings His covenant. And so our relationship with God starts with God coming down to us and bringing us His covenant. In fact, uh, it says in Luke uh, 19, I believe, you don't need to turn there, or sorry, Luke 22, 19 through 20. I'm a little behind on my notes. Uh, It says, And having taken some bread... When he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. You see, just like Isaac, we need a covenant, but our covenant, covenant comes from Jesus. It comes from the work he did on the cross. It comes from his perfect life, his death, his resurrection. He paid, he lived the life that we could not live, and he paid the price that we could not pay. And so our life starts with this covenant. And from there, we must respond in faith like Isaac did. What is God asking of you today? For some of you, it may mean stay. Stay in your job. Stay with your spouse. Stay in that situation. For some of you, it may mean go. Go away from those friends. Go away from those circumstances. Get away from that situation. What is God asking you to do today? And like Isaac, we're going to mess it up. We are going to mess it up. The reality of it is, is that God did pay the price for us on the cross, but that we aren't there yet. We aren't to that day when he will make us whole and complete. How many of us have been here? How many of us know the sins of our fathers? Maybe you've seen it in your actual parents. Maybe you've seen the way that they've acted and you swore, I will never do that. You know there are certain sins that you're pro to, you know there are certain places you shouldn't go, there are no, you know there are certain things you shouldn't be doing, yet you find yourself in that situation again, and you've messed it all up, even after God has come to you, even after God has saved you from it and changed you, you're going to sin again. This is the reality of our Christian walk. This is the reality of where we are at and we are going to make a mockery of God. The world is going to see us and they are going to say, you hypocrites, how can you do this and that? Because it is not our moral uh, wins that save us, but it is God pursuing us. And we see that in Isaac's life, and we see that in our life. Even though we sin again, church, I have this message for you today. God will bless you. God is blessing you. God is using your sin to draw you closer to him. Do you see this? Do you see this in Isaac's life? Do you see this in your life? You can't sin yourself out of his love. No matter how deep, no matter what the effects of it are, God will bless you. And God may bless you with material things, and you may have a really nice boat... (laughs) And people may be really jealous of that boat. Uh, that's sort of me in this situation. <laughs> but God may bless you in your job, in, the, in the, the circumstances of your life. But what you're going to see is this world is broken. And yes, one day God's blessings will be eternal, and they will bring no quarreling, and they will bring peace, and we will be wealthy in Christ with Him. But this world is broken. And so our blessings don't weigh, look the way that they intended to look because our world is envious and they want what we have and we will quarrel and we will fight with each other. So like Isaac, we need to return to the source of truth. We need to return to our father's wells. In fact, I love this, uh, this commentary by Matthew Henry. He says in his commentary on this passage, he says, in our searches after truth, that fountain of living water It is good to make use of the discoveries of former ages, which have been clouded by the corruptions of later times. Inquire for the old way, the wells which our fathers digged, which the adversaries of truth have stopped up. Ask the elders, and they shall teach thee. You see what happens when you start diving into the Word and you start going back to the place of God's truth, is the world wants to cover that up. They want to cover up those things. They want to tell you that the scriptures aren't relevant anymore, that it's just a bunch of messed up stuff, which it is. Uh, It's a bunch of messed up people. They want to tell you that that's, what are you reading? It's thousands of years old. How is that even relevant? There's this new stuff. Join us in this new stuff. Cover up that old stuff. And I'm here to tell you that there is nothing new to God, that His Word remains the same today and tomorrow. And when you're experiencing that, when the world is telling you one thing, you need to come back to the word. You need to come back to the preaching of the word. You need to come back to the wisdom of the elders. Find the source of your faith in old, not in new. I gotta tell you though, when you start to do that, when you start to speak the truth, The world isn't gonna love that. They're they're not gonna just hear that and be your friend. Just like Isaac faced contention and quarreling, we today face these same things. We today face strife for, for preaching the truth in our lives. There are so many things Christians face today in our world. So many topics that are hot topics, so many wars on Facebook, right? You and I have all, probably at some point given in, and maybe it's not just on social media, maybe it's an argument with your coworkers, and you want to preach the truth, and you, you have the right to, and you have your rights, and you, you're an American or whatever it is, and uh, you know, God has given you whatever, and, and, and you have this power to speak the truth into people's lives and tell them where they're wrong. Isaac doesn't respond like that. Isaac's at peace with his fellow man. He backs away. We don't need to defend the Bible, Christians. Preaching at someone on Facebook is not doing anybody any favors. Can I just tell you that right now? Yes, we are to dive into the truth. Yes, we are to speak it, but in a peaceful way. And God will grow us through these circumstances, through our understanding that this world is not our home, through this understanding that this world is broken, that even if we're rich beyond our wildest dreams, there's still going to be quarreling and fighting, that these possessions aren't good enough. We see this in so many celebrities and powerful people today. None of them are happy. Suicide rates are going up and up and up We see the brokenness of this world today. So what do we need? We need space. We need space apart from the things of this world. We need space for God to speak into us and to remind us of his promise. That we need to be devastated by the situations and although these circumstances keep happening and they will keep happening, God's promise to us remains true. That he is the only thing that you need he is the only thing that you can rely on. Oh, I pray for you guys today that you experience discomfort in this world. And that may sound harsh, and I know many of you have really broken stories and hurtful things that happened to you, and I understand that, and I hurt with you, and Jesus weeps with you. But Christians, today, we must understand that the only thing that we can rely on, the only thing that matters, the only thing that Only person who can keep his promises is our God, who did so on the cross, who did it already. And not only has he done that for you, but he is pursuing you to this day through all of your sin, through all of your circumstances. God today wants you to know that his promise remains true. He is with you. So I hope that we come to this place that Jesus talked about in Matthew 6. Verse 33, you don't need to turn there. Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Church, I hope we fear God. I hope we understand that this world, that man, that there's nothing to fear. God has already won the battle for us. He is victorious. I hope that we go to a place where we are not looking for contentment and comfort in this world. We are not bound by the circumstances, but we, like Isaac, are here because this is where God has us. Church, are you here today because this is where God has you? Are you here today because you have nothing left, no hope other than Christ and what he's done for you and how he continually pursues you and calls you to his name? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek his righteousness. Be at peace with man. Don't worry about the well. It'll get full. I promise you. God will provide for you what you need when you need it. Where he leads you, he will take you. Do you see that in Isaac's life? That's the promise to you today. It says in Philippians 1.6, you don't need to turn there, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian today, if you have answered God's calling on your life in faith, he's began a work in you already and he will complete it. There's hope in that. Not in your circumstances, not in the things that are going to happen in this world. But that god is doing something in your life that he has called you that he wants you to be with him do you guys see that today and so we see as a result isaac's finally at this place where he is seeking first the kingdom of god and it's not the blessings of wealth or circumstances, or the power that he has that brings his enemies to him. That has brought him nothing but fighting and quarreling to this point. But it's the way that he has acted in a way that nobody else can explain. Because when you are seeking the kingdom, when you understand that God will provide for you everything that you need, your actions change because of it. There's no other explanation for his life. His enemies come to him and see this. This is us Christians today. When we know that God will provide for us, we will act differently and we are called to act differently. We'll be at peace when it doesn't make sense. We'll give up our stuff when it doesn't make sense. And the world will see that and they'll come to us and they'll say, what's going on in your life? I don't understand your actions. The only explanation for this is that God is surely with you Our church, I want so badly for our city to say that about us. I want so badly for them to say, why are you guys doing this stuff? Why are you over at Richmond Elementary? There's there's no explanation for it. Why are you giving up your time, your money, your house, your lives? Why are you doing these things? Our church, can that be us today? Can the world see our response to what God has done for us? And would our actions change because of it? And I hope so. I hope if you leave with nothing else, you leave with the idea that when you find that God has begun a work in you and when he's leading you, he will provide for you and that your actions will change because of it and you will build his kingdom here on earth. But there's a bit of this passage I didn't touch on yet and that's the last section and honestly for a while I was just going to skip it because it didn't really make much sense to me. Why does he put this weird passage in there about Esau marrying these wives? I want to tell you that that's a warning for us today. Matt talked about last week that God chooses you and and how do we know that we respond in faith? We don't just take what we want. We don't just live the life that we want, but our life changes. Esau takes what he wants. He takes the wives that he was warned not to take. He knows that that is not what he is, the the fulfillment of his promise. You see, the warning here is don't be like Esau. Live the life like Isaac. How do you know that you're chosen? This is what your life looks like. God will pull you farther and farther away from your sin, farther and farther away from the comforts of this world and He'll draw you to Him. If you haven't received that covenant, if you haven't responded in faith, I'm begging you, pleading with you, do it today. Experience the joy of what it's like to live a life like Isaac, to live a life who is completely dependent on God. Would you respond today? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that our only hope is in you. God, we thank you so much that this world is not our home. We thank you that you have remained true throughout time. Your promise continues to this day. It didn't die with Abraham, it didn't die with Isaac, and it didn't die with Jacob, God. But it died with you on the cross, but then it was brought to us through your resurrection, God. That hope that comes to us through your resurrection, God, would that be our hope today, that we can rely on you, that you are true, that no matter the circumstances of this world, no matter what happens, no matter the quarreling and the fighting, God, you will come to us. You will be with us, and you are for us, God. Would that deeply impact us, God? Would we see the sin that we have today? Would we see the devastation it causes, and would we turn away from it? God, would we not be like Esau, but would we see your promise, see your death on the cross, and receive it, and act in faith? God, I make this prayer for our church, for myself today. In your great name I pray.